Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the HIV Podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Our mini-series focuses on people who recklessly transmit HIV. But we need some balance here because we don't want people to be fearful of those living with the virus. There are approximately 37 million HIV-positive people in the world and we featured less than 20. We don't want anyone to be under the illusion that recklessly or intentionally transmitting HIV is commonplace. It's not. HIV medication stops people living with the virus from passing it on to others. We call this being undetectable. And it's one of the reasons that HIV rates are falling and why it's so rare for people to be prosecuted. But when people do appear in court, the media attention often causes fear and stigma. So our series is about setting the record straight. I was going to start it by doing the crime voice. Oh, my God. I was going to go, in a town near Slough. But that is a town. I, I, yeah, again, I shouldn't, I shouldn't try. But um, welcome to our very exciting mini crime series. Hey. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've lost the ability to speak because it's warm. Oh, it's too warm. Too warm. Are you melting? Uh, I'm not too bad today. So we should explain we're in the middle of a heat wave, aren't we? Oh, yes. And for us, obviously, we're in England. So any kind of weather that deviates just by a few degrees, either hot or cold, that's the entire country just shut down. Just yes, And everybody loses the ability to work, including me. So good yes. luck for you getting through this. Nothing will stop my excitement from this. You know how much I love true crime. Blah. What? I don't know what I'm trying to say. You know how much I love true crime podcasts. And now it's also coupled with HIV. What could be better? It is. Yes. And it is. It's it's a good mini series, though I do say so myself. Some interesting kind of stories in there. For now, I think it'll be good. Let's start 
and stop moaning about the weather. I'll never stop moaning about the weather. I feel like it's in my DNA. And it's one of my favourite things to talk about with people. So British. (laughs) Never happy. Don't you find? I feel like it's like a comfort thing as well. Um, The guy at my local shop, all we chat about together is the weather and I enjoy it. Any other chat gets a bit awkward and you don't know what to say. But we spend all of our time discussing the weather that day, also what the weather was the day before and what the rest of the week will bring. Yeah, no, I think everyone does that. It's your go-to, isn't it? It's when I, when I see my neighbours, that's always the first. It's always warm today or it's clouded over. That and talking about the bins, when, when bin day is, you know, bin day's moved yeah. to a different yeah. day of the week. Massive source of conversation. Do your bin men come early when it's hot? No, they, well, they always come early anyway, so it's always half six in the morning. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, so Ooh. no matter what the weather there's no lions on a Tuesday morning in our house. Gosh, there's not, is there? So our council send an alert out saying the bin men are going to be coming really early. Absolutely fair enough. Because it's so hot, then they're going to um, finish early. So, yeah, there's always that panic of, have they been? Are they coming? You know, that kind of thing. Checking other people's oh. bins. But yeah. Yes. See, we have a neighbour down our road. He is always the first one to put the bins out and everybody else puts their bins out according to him imagine the pressure does he do it night before or morning yes so the night before if his bin's gone out everyone else's goes out it's like a parade if his bin hasn't gone out then what you'll find is other people will bring their bins down the drive and then just look around really confused so it's not been and that's another source of conversation it's not not bin day oh he hasn't put i don't know his name either that's all i just know number 28 that's amazing 28's bin's not out what's going on another really british thing we had letters round about that um someone in our area had obviously complained and so everybody in the whole area got a letter about you can only put your bin out after 7 p.m the night before or before 7 a.m i mean it was ridiculous these time you're like, who is telling me about when to put a bin out? That's madness. Isn't no. it? Imagine the time wasting that was. Imagine that. The paper that went into sending that out. No, yeah. no, no. You need a number 28. He'll let you know when to put your bin out and when that's, not to. Yeah, that's that's what everyone, every street should have someone appointed to mm. start the bin parade. Absolutely. So, Absolute godsend. Anyway, I mean, I could talk about bins all day, but we probably should get back to HIV and crime. So what kind of crime are we talking about today? Yes, we need to be more specific, don't we? So we are looking at people who've been prosecuted for reckless transmission. So we're going to look during this series at people who've been prosecuted and the events that led to them being put in prison or not, as the case may be. Okay, and obviously we put the disclaimer at the start of every episode, so it's not that we're... I don't know, scaring anyone or vilifying anyone. We get asked all the time about reckless transmission. And so for us, actually, we felt that it was something that really we needed to look into and it needed to have its own little series. Definitely. And I think every time HIV transmission cases are featured in the press, we get worried calls from service users thinking they're all going to be prosecuted, you know, regardless of whether they've used protection, whether they're undetectable, um, sometimes regardless of whether they've even actually had sex. So in a way, this is for them to kind of put their minds at rest and also to educate us as well, because it is quite complex, this kind of area of law. So we will be learning as we're podcasting. So what we're going to start with is we're actually going to look at kind of what reckless and intentional transmission is. So if we can put that into context 
then we can look at people in more detail, specific people who've broken the law and understand kind of how it got to that point. Right. So how it got to the point of it being in court and a prosecution. Yeah, this is it. And and like you're saying, these are things that you and I also need to know. I know we discussed recently where did it all even come from? How did it begin? It's not just someone walked into Parliament one day and said, right, this is a new law. So I am excited and on tenterhooks. Are you really? really, Look how closely I'm leaning forward. Okay, we should point out everything we reference is for the UK. If you live in another country, the same laws may not apply. And in one of the episodes, we will look at what happens in other countries around this as well. But for the moment, we're focusing on the UK. And as I said, we need to understand the law because we don't want to scare anyone, like you said. Um, And we do have HIV positive listeners, as we know. So we want them to be absolutely clear that they're they're not kind of intentionally breaking the law or anything like that. Now, I should also point out something else. It's not just HIV that the law relates to. um, It's also hepatitis. Potentially, it could be applied to any sexually transmitted infection. Although others have a lesser impact, they're more easily treatable. But the charge is intentional or reckless sexual transmission of infection. So it's more of an umbrella term. It's not strictly just HIV. No. I know hepatitis is obviously treatable, but it's not just as simple as having hepatitis going and being treated. You know, treatment is around £60,000, £65,000. Every clinic has a budget. And so it doesn't mean that every person will get that treatment. They have to discuss them, don't they, and decide whose health is most at risk and who they can treat. We've had people who've been diagnosed with both. And yeah, it's not not an easy treatment at all. So there you go. We're going to delve into the law. You did law A-level, didn't you? I did. Right. Do you want to lead on this then? Go on. What constitutes intentional or reckless transmission? I have no idea, honestly. (laughs) How long ago did I do? I don't even think this was anywhere near a law then. I mean, I did law when I was 16 to 18. So that, I mean, I'm 40, quite a long time ago. Okay, well, that's fair enough, because I don't think it was around when you were young. And it's lucky that the National AIDS Trust have produced lots of information around this, which we are using as our primary source of reference. So don't worry, don't have to be a little legal eagle. I have pro bono. I can just throw in legal words if you want every now and again. Brilliant. Perfect. Let's do it. Okay, right. So the law used in England and Wales, not Scotland, and in a later episode, we will look at Scotland in more detail. But the law in England and Wales to prosecute people for HIV and transmission is the Offences Against the Person Act 1861. And it's, you know, that's a 19th century law. It doesn't mention HIV. Of course it doesn't, because as we know, HIV wasn't around until 1920s. But under that law, people are prosecuted under the umbrella of grievous bodily harm and then intentional or reckless sexual transmission of HIV. So it's kind of got layers to it. Two possible offences, reckless transmission, which is under section 20, because we'll talk about section 20 for this, and an intentional transmission, which is section 18. And it's worth noting, it's actually really hard to prove someone had intention rather than it was reckless. So if you think about um, think about murder and manslaughter. So murder is based on the intention to kill someone, isn't it? They Did they go carrying a weapon? Was it a planned meeting? Could it be proved beyond reasonable doubt they wanted to kill that person? And manslaughter is charged, you know, if you can't prove intent. So, you know, maybe a fight got out of hand, for example. So reckless or intentional transmission is similar. Did they intend to affect that person? How do you prove that sex, which is often spontaneous, how do you prove someone planned to have sex? It's similar to kind of murder manslaughter. Oh, that's a really good way of putting it. Thank you. Because that is helpful in just getting your head around it, isn't it? Yeah, because 
even if you plan to meet up with someone, even if you went on Grindr or, or any of the other hookup sites, or social media apps, um, and arranged to meet someone, that doesn't prove you intended to have sex with them. It just proves you wanted to meet them. So intentional transmission is really tricky. And there's other factors as well. So you think witnesses, for example, there's rarely going to be witnesses around that could verify that you wanted to go and have sex with that person. And that's what you did. It's normally one person's word against another. Well, again, it's really hard because even if there was evidence that you wanted to go and have sex with somebody, that's not evidence that you wanted to pass on HIV. Exactly. It's another layer, isn't it, to that as well? So it's really it's actually really kind of complex to get to the point where you've proved beyond reasonable doubt that someone deliberately infected someone else with HIV. Right. And there are five kind of points that need to be proved for that alleged offence to be prosecuted. Okay. So you have to prove that the person knew that they had HIV. You have to prove that they understood how HIV is transmitted. You have to prove that they had sex with someone who didn't know they had HIV. You have to prove that they had sex without a condom and you have to prove that they transmitted HIV to that person. Now, obviously, three of those are simple, aren't they? It's relatively easy to prove that someone knew they had HIV and that they understood how it was transmitted and that they actually transmitted it to another person. Those can't, aren't as in dispute. But how do you prove that they had sex with someone who didn't know they had HIV? If they're saying I told them and the other person is saying they didn't, it's one person's word against another. And then you have to prove that they had sex without a condom. Again, it's one person's word against another, isn't it? Not easy to prove. Oh, God, yeah. Sorry, my mind's just like so many questions. So all of this will help when we do um, our next episode and we're looking at um, a case of someone who was prosecuted all of this background context will help because to get to that point and hopefully reassure some of the people who are listening who might be worried that you know they could be in this situation it's really difficult to prove Mm. and is it the crown prosecution service have to pull a whole lot of information together yeah so I was going to ask the burden of proof so you know I can rape the burden of proof changed didn't it it used to be if 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 I had been assaulted I would have to prove that I had been assaulted and then the burden of proof shifted this is my law knowledge this is what I'm pulling out for you and it shifted so that if I had been accused of assaulting somebody I would have to prove that I didn't so do we know which way around the burden of proof is on this yes As we go through this series, you will see how the burden of proof has changed. Oh, interesting. Yes. So in the early days, it was very, very different to how it is now. But that's because they have never had scenarios like this before. No case law they could refer to. So we'll follow the journey of how the case law changed as more cases came to court. Now, I've got some questions. I'm going to test you on these. Look at me putting you on the spot on the hottest day in well, in, in forever. Since records began. Since records began, yes. Okay, so these are questions that we're going to give answers to, but the questions that have kind of come from service users over the years, really. So the first one is, am I guilty of reckless HIV transmission if I didn't know myself I had HIV? Hard no. Very good. Yeah, because how could you intentionally do something if you didn't know you were positive yourself? Yeah, if you don't know you're positive when you transmitted HIV to your sexual partner, there's no crime. But there is a caveat to this, which is very rare, but we need to mention this to cover ourselves. If you've been told by a doctor that it's highly likely you have HIV, but you have refused to test, 
or if you've been told by a previous partner to get tested because they'd tested positive, but you choose not to, that could be considered reckless transmission. You didn't know for certain, but the probability is more likely than not that you were carrying the virus. Okay, so you can't just say I refuse to do this and that's my defence because I just didn't want to know. Yes. So that stops people who, you know, have been told, have been told to get tested, are still having unprotected sex and and still spreading the virus. And then they go, well, I actually haven't had a, a definite diagnosis. It's like, no, you the probability is that you more than likely did have it. You've been told to get tested. You've chosen not to. That's not a good enough defence that you didn't recklessly pass this on. Yes. Okay. Next question. Am I guilty of reckless HIV transmission if I told my partner I was positive before transmission took place? I want to. I want to say no. And you would be correct. You should consider a career in law when you finish your TBPS, which won't be forever. <laughs> Maybe as a maybe as a secondary career because we're all going to need them because the cost of living is so so high now. There you go, part time lawyer. Oh, I like it. So if you can show that your sexual partner knew you were HIV, so excited that you got the answer right. I can't speak. Knew you were HIV positive and then had sex with you. That means they agreed to any risk of HIV transmission. So you can't be guilty of reckless transmission if you told that person and that person thought, do you know what? I don't mind that you're HIV positive. I still want to have unprotected sex with you. You can't be prosecuted for that. I don't know how you'd evidence it because it's one word person's word against another. That's so hard, isn't it? And then also, you know, if you're in a relationship or even if it's casual, long term, whatever, even if you've told somebody, you're not then going to be like, right, can we sit down? We'll film this together so that we have evidence, you know, probably a bit of a mood killer. (laughs) Sign this disclaimer. Exactly. And they're like, oh, you're not not in the mood now. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. Fair enough. Okay, the next one. Oh, the next one I've been asked a few times. Am I guilty of reckless HIV transmission, even if a condom was used? No, because you can't be held responsible for the condom's durability. Exactly. You've taken reasonable action to reduce the risk of HIV transmission. Even if it breaks, even if it slips off, you're using that condom in good faith. You're not being reckless. I mean, we always say, don't we, if someone is detectable, they're using a condom and, and the condom breaks, advise your partner to go to A&E or their sexual health clinic to access PEP as soon as possible. Yes. But even if uh, they did that and the person chose not to access it, that's not your responsibility. They know all the facts, they're choosing not to get the treatment. And if you're using a condom, I'm sorry if I'm making this more complicated, If would I also have to have disposed my status or I don't have to have disposed my status because I'm using the condom? Yeah. Okay. And that's something we get asked, isn't it? About, well, should I tell somebody? Should I Should you, I not? OK, so to clarify, if I'm using a condom, I don't have to disclose my status. And even if that condom breaks or comes off and HIV is transmitted, that is not reckless transmission. No, because you took reasonable steps to ensure that it wasn't. So even if you've not disclosed to someone and their argument is you should have told me so I knew all of the risks, you're using a condom to mitigate those risks. That's all you need to do. And actually, if you've noticed the condom has slipped or it breaks and you then say, actually, you need to go to A&E and access pet. Again, you're mitigating the risk. You're giving them the information they need to get this sorted out. Yes. Ooh. Next question. Am I guilty of reckless HIV transmission for having unprotected sex with someone, even if I didn't infect them? Wait, because I need some more information on this before I can answer. So have I disclosed my status to the person that I'm having the unprotected sex with? So I haven't disclosed my status. I'm having the unprotected sex. But you haven't infected them. 
I would still say yes, because you've been, you haven't taken any steps in any way to either mitigate, like we were saying with a condom, so to you, to mitigate the risks, but also you haven't given that person, if you did want to have unprotected sex and you're positive, then that's when you should be disclosing to them because then it's their choice in, you know, they have a say in it as well. Is that right? The actual answer is no. So it isn't a crime in England and Wales if you expose someone to the risk of infection. If okay. there's no transmission, then there's no case for prosecution. Now you should, and obviously we would recommend everyone, if you are HIV positive and you're detectable, have protected sex. Even if you don't want to disclose your status, just use a condom. But if you chose not to and you didn't infect them, but then they found out you were positive, they can't take you, they can't report you to the police. Of course, because how could it be transmission? Because if you haven't transmitted anything, I'm an idiot. But in some countries around the world, it is classed as a crime. So just exposing someone to infection, even if you haven't actually transmitted HIV to them, could still be prosecuted. In England and Wales, it can't. Now, some police in the past have been a little little overzealous in this area, but there's no crime um, and therefore nothing to base any charges on. Right. End of putting you on the spot with questions. Now, this is almost so, full marks. Excellent. This is so fascinating. I know I let myself down with the last one, though. Disappointing. <laughs> this is fascinating. We'll put it down to the feet. Yeah, this is. No, I'm loving this, honestly, because now when people ask me, I can explain it much better. Yeah. So let's look then at how do you prove who gave someone HIV? So People make assumptions, don't they, about who infected them with HIV. And it's usually based on the idea that the person who tested positive first was the person who actually infected them. Yes. I've heard this before as well. Some service users, when they're diagnosed, they're very keen to know who infected them and when. Obviously, we can support them with that. But uh, yes, they always assume, well, if that person knew three years ago that they were positive, then they must have got it before me. It's not necessarily the case. And sometimes it's possible that the person who complains to the police after testing HIV positive has, in fact, infected the person they're accusing. But how would you ever know? Well, we can have a look at that because whenever anybody goes to the police to report that somebody's infected them with the HIV, the police have to be certain that that is definitely the case. So it has to be beyond reasonable doubt that that happened and that it wasn't the other way around and then you get someone kind of wanted to put a counter charge and it all gets very complicated so we need to look at how they prove who infected who are you ready are you ready for the science oh i didn't warn you there was science there's no science glasses i don't have any glasses right here with me (laughs) no glasses no science goggles today but i am ready for the science okay so uh, they use something called phylogenetic analysis so they compare the virus of the complainant with the virus of the accused If the two viruses appear to be different, that proves there was no HIV transmission between the two people. So there's no crime. If the viruses appear to be similar, this shows that HIV transmission from the accused to the complainant could possibly have taken place. But it doesn't prove it beyond reasonable doubt. Could have been the other way around. Like I said, the complainant could have transmitted the virus to the accused or both were infected by another person. You, you don't know. Yeah. So how does yeah. it ever get to court? If that's the case, how on earth do they ever bring a case against someone? What they have to do is they have to go through both parties' previous sexual history to get to the point where it can be proved one way or the other who infected who. Can, I mean, that is a 
huge undertaking. And it's why cases take so long to get to court. Because if you think if either party has moved around a lot, if or lived abroad, for example, it's really hard to track down their previous sexual partners. Really difficult. That's a, that, that is a massive undertaking. And I weirdly did not think that's where we were going to go. I thought you'd tell me there was some sort of test where they could see, you know, say if you had, I don't, I don't even know how I'd test this, <laughs> but I thought, I thought that's where we were going with it, that there possibly might be a test for it. But it's just man hours. And that's exactly right. It is man hours. I think it's evolved um, over the years as we've become, well, as we've learned more about the virus, I would say, but there's still a lot of work that needs to go into proving this one way or the other. And yes, you can identify different strains of HIV, but you've still got the burden of proof. Even if two people have a very similar strain, how can you eliminate the fact that someone might have had sex with someone else who also had that strain? Mm. It's quite difficult to prove it to the point that a, a judge or a jury would have no doubt that this has happened. I mean, the case is strengthened, obviously, if other people are found who have also been infected. So previous partners, for example, they analyse their virus, see if that matched. Uh, but it's a very, very long drawn out process. Oh, I bet that, that I mean, that could take years, I imagine. Could do. I think if someone's had a lot of previous sexual partners or like I said, they've moved around a lot. It's That's the thing, isn't it? What if you were travelling? You know, you spent the last couple of years travelling around the world. My goodness. Yeah, it'd be difficult. And also you're reliant on that person giving you the correct information or in some cases even remembering which people that they've slept with. It's a little bit like the episode, you know, Reclaimed Dugar, where they said he was patient zero because he could remember everyone he had slept with and the others couldn't. Very few people keep a detailed log like he did of who they've slept with. So when you're asked to kind of recall that so that they can piece together your kind of sexual health history, I think it's really hard for a lot of people. I think that's really difficult. And especially imagine if you're, I don't know, taking drugs or drinking as well. You might not remember someone's name or you could have casual encounters with people. Maybe you didn't even ask their name. And that's fine, too. It's that's a huge undertaking. And surely mistakes must be made. Because if I forgot somebody, doesn't that affect the entire case, you know? Yeah, it absolutely could do. It's why when cases are brought to court, it is rarely based on just one person's accusations. If you've got more than one person saying the same thing about the accused, so more than one person saying that they've been infected, it's obviously going to strengthen your case. Yeah. Um, but just having one person saying, yes, this person infected me with HIV is, is much, much harder to prove. And it's also why it's almost impossible to prove intentional transmission, because on top of proving who infected who, you've also got to prove intent that someone you know, maliciously wanted to give someone else HIV. You need a motive. And that, again, is reliant on whoever's being accused giving you that motive or telling you why they did it. It's complicated. Yeah. Really complicated. But hopefully give some people some peace of mind that, you know, the police aren't going around taking anyone's word for it and prosecuting people willy nilly. No, huge amount of good work goes into into putting a case together and actually getting someone to court. Yeah. And I think that's the really important thing, again, why it was important for us to address this in a podcast and put this out so that people can see that. Because it's easy just to think that, isn't it? Oh, you know, so and so has gone to the police station and they've said this and they've told me that. And then. You're there worrying. It's nice to know how difficult this is because it shouldn't be easy. No, no, it absolutely shouldn't be. Um, 
police have to put in a huge amount of work, sexual health services have to as well um, to get this to court. So National Age Trust view, we should, as we've used their material, also say what their view is. They've said that since 2001, there have been prosecutions for the reckless transmission of HIV in the UK. We're going to look at some of those in future episodes. However, this has not reduced HIV transmission. I don't know if that was the um, original aim when the first case went to court. They said instead it has undermined public health by increasing stigma, victimisation and discrimination of people living with HIV. Investigations are often long and protracted and spark stigmatising media coverage. I agree with what they say about the media coverage, definitely. I think that increases stigma. But their stance is basically that they're against this in any case. That's different to mine. I think in some cases, um, and we're going to look at them in the next few episodes, absolutely people should be prosecuted for doing this. But yeah, I just think it's interesting that it hasn't reduced HIV transmission because I would never have thought that would have been the aim of taking anyone to court. I don't know. No, definitely not. So I suppose they're looking at it like the law is a deterrent. I mean, especially even with the reckless part, if it's reckless, then it would be unthought out anyway in its very nature. Do you know what I mean? So you wouldn't be thinking about that. So it seems odd to expect this law to drive down rates of HIV. I know. And I think, you know, everybody has moments where they haven't used protection or, you know, we've all been reckless at some point. Yeah. You know, just get caught up in the moment and your mind's elsewhere and you and you don't think you should kind of use a condom. And people living with HIV are no different to any of us in that respect. I just hope this kind of alleviates some of their concerns about being kind of taken to court for doing that. I do think you're right. I think this, well, I mean, I think this will alleviate a lot of people's fears. And I'm pleased to hear the hoops you have to jump through, the things that have to be proved in order to take forward a prosecution. But yeah, we shouldn't have people worrying if A, they're using a condom or B, they've told their partner. There should be absolutely zero worry there. And now we can Mm. really let people know that. I I think the thing that the law has done is scare people. That's what it, that's for sure. 100% success in scaring everybody. I think that, and the press have as well. Yeah. Because they never tell the backstory, do they? They just sensationalise what's happening or if someone's gone to court and then of course that causes a lot of panic amongst our service users when it needn't be but we know the facts now so we are all clued up about reckless transmission of HIV next week we'll be looking at some of the earliest cases that were brought to court do you know I think it might be time for you to dust down your judge's wig I know you have one from that time you overshared details of your life that quite frankly not sure our friendship was ready to handle as I said at the time, what you choose to do in your own time is entirely your affair. Don't edit it out. It's nothing to be shamed of. I know you will. Don't. <laughs> Look at me getting my own back for all the times I've been like, edit it. And you've just got Don't even remember a judge's wig. But there we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna make one out of toilet rolls. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's my dedication to this. But this wow. is so interesting because. Do you know, I've also heard people, so I know I've just gone off again on a different tangent. You're about to tell me something, weren't you? No, that's it. We're done. We know all about reckless transmission now and your fetish for wigs. Okay. <laughs> Who doesn't have a fetish for wigs? Amazing. Um, well, well done on the first prime one. I'm loving it. Have you frozen? No. You just... I said, I literally said that one. I'm loving it. And then I paused and you just stared at me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd frozen. And I was just like, oh dear, it's going to be that sort of day. Or the heat and all the, you know, the brain power that's taken, that's zapped all your energy now. Yeah, no, it has. I'm just going to have to lie down and uh, just, you know. 
So look, we're done. That's all. Next week, as I said, people who the first earliest cases. You'll be wearing a wig. It will be lovely. Made of toilet roll. And do you know what I can do? Because you've actually given me the thing I can say. Wait, what was it again? I've forgotten already. Next week, the earliest. Next week on Crime HIV Podcast, the earliest cases of HIV. No, that's not what we're doing. Okay, let's just move on. Let's move on. Yeah, no, it's not the earliest cases of HIV. It's not at all. That that was an episode a few weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to plug all of them. That's all I'm doing. Plug all of them. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.